Okay, friends, I want to continue building on the idea that we discussed in the previous episode of the podcast here. Uh, Last episode, I talked about the importance of pressing pause, of not just continuing on, of when you have an emotional hurt, you have an emotional wound, of stopping, of stepping back, of dealing with it in the same way that you would if it was a physical hurt and a physical wound. And rather than minimizing something that occurred, you don't don't compare to how somebody else endured something uh, in the same way that um, different physical things affect us in unique ways. So also do emotional, internal things affect us in different ways. And so you really have to be the pain skill for you. You press pause. You don't press pause so that you can stay there and live there in it. You press pause so that you can address it, so you can start healing it. And and this is an important phrase, not necessarily, quote, getting over it. Now, some things, honestly, you and I should get over it. But some of those big things, you don't just get over it. You, you do realize that you will somehow... Even if there's a new normal, you will get through it. And maybe that's a unique way to think in terms of moving forward. Not necessarily just, oh, get over it. Oh, that never happened. Get over it. But pushing forward, moving through. Now, I said that it's important to press pause so that you can deal with some of the things in the present uh, when they occur, but also pressing pause, it steps you into this unique rhythm uh, that I believe is orchestrated in how things were created so that you are better equipped to deal with things as they come in the future. So that you're already in a place of more solid footing, uh, stronger foundation, and you're more able to move forward through, not over, but through the hard things that will inevitably in the future occur. Before I kind of paint the picture of that, let me remind you, take a look down in the show notes. There are a few things that I've set for you there, some links for you. Uh, One of them is the free post-traumatic stress self-check. 10 questions, yes or no answers. It takes you about two to three minutes Just kind of go through, think about the question, answer it, and on the other side, it'll open up some personalized coaching video based on your answers specifically for you. There is also a Best of Soul Wholeness audio training uh, down below, seven lessons, uh, instant access to the audio, and the Soul Wholeness book. Uh, That is one of my resources that I put together. That's available there. I'll send it to you absolutely free. You pay the shipping and handling. I've I've got a stack of the books here. Uh, I'm recording in the garage where we've got our shipping station. Our our garage is unique. I've talked about it before. One side of the garage is the workout space uh, where we've got uh, some weight equipment, some free weights, uh, pull-up bar, uh, a TV if you want to do Beachbody or some other uh, online-type workouts. And then the other side, I have some shelves with some of my tools, bikes hanging on the wall, and then the stock of books. And we've got this workspace where Beth has set up a scale and some labels. So when you order a book from the website, it kind of fires off uh, through the software here, prints you a label, and then we, we send it. 
So that's that's how all that works. And all those items are down below for you. If you're interested, follow those links. So here's where I want to go in this talk. That pause, that, let's call it a rest, it's part of the rhythm of life. Uh, in fact, uh, in the same way that you are created for work, and I really believe that you and I are created for work. Work is not a curse of the fall. The fall occurred in Genesis chapter 3. Toil is a curse of the fall. Now thorns and thistles come because of the fall, but work was given to Adam and Eve at the very beginning. They were given dominion over creation, and they were given this charge to work and to steward and to make things better. You and I, in the same way, were created for a purpose to somehow add value to the world around us, to better the lives of other people, and in the process, really find this fulfillment that betters ourselves. The problem is, so often, you and I find our value. We find our worth. We find our identity in what we do. And so we're really hesitant to press pause. In some sense, unless we're busy during the day, we don't feel like we've done anything or or achieved anything. Uh, The pause is difficult. And I believe in some way we import that over into the area of, of emotional health where we just run on all cylinders all the time. And then ironically, even rather than resting in a healthy way, we just kind of mindlessly check out and do other things that seem more valuable than the pause, but are really just kind of ways of, they're kind of faux pausers, faux ways of, of resting you know, Netflix and chill, scrolling Instagram, Facebook, when we could be doing something productive or could be doing the productivity of of rest. Rest, I'm saying, the pause is something you are created for. Uh, now, here's what's interesting. Uh, a couple years ago, I remember scrolling through, walking through, the business section of Barnes and Noble up the street from my house. I went there. It was kind of a lazy day. I got some coffee, and I, I think the kids wanted to go see the Legos at Barnes and Noble or Salter at the time. Probably wanted to go play with the little Thomas the Tank Engine setup they had in the back. I, I don't know, but I remember walking through the business books, and I noticed this new trend of books about rest. Uh. And overabundance of them seem to talk about things like napping during the workday, uh, getting eight hours of sleep every night, uh, optimal work weeks of no more than 36 hours. No, no typo or misspeak there, 36. In fact, multiple sources confirm that after 36 hours of work, you actually stop producing and you simply begin coasting and there's no net gain. You're just kind of there. And, and then here's one stat that got my attention. At 50 plus hours, your work becomes a negative. Uh, that means you actually begin undoing what you've done, thereby jeopardizing the progress from the week that you made thus far. They were arguing that extra work doesn't get you ahead. It 
put you in the hole. It undoes some of the great things that you've achieved that week. Now, that might sound a little bit strange, especially if you're like me in some weeks, you're like, man, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this project done right now. I'm going to finish this book or I'm going to complete that uh, home renovation project or I'm going to you know, crank out this business, uh, what, whatever it is. But a couple other parallels. Athletes know to avoid overtraining. They all understand there's an optimal amount of time and energy to expend on their physical product progress. And if they exert themselves too hard or train too long, they don't provide enough time and space for their bodies to recover. They understand that recovery is part of the training and they increase the likelihood of injury. So in their case, more work, more training isn't better. The right amount of training is better. I'll give you another example. I remember doing this. Now, now I don't do this. Uh, I have, Beth and I refer to it as magic coffee because uh, part of her routine is she'll set up the coffee maker. She'll pour in this purified water and put these level scoops like they do at the coffee shop into the coffee maker. And then the coffee is incredible. I I don't do that. I just kind of put, you know, haphazard scoops in. So the coffee tastes completely different and you will get a radically uh, inferior experience at the house. If I make your coffee, then she does. Um, one of the jokes when I make it is that you're going to get toilet water in the coffee. Uh, that That comes from, that sounds disgusting, but it comes from the reality that there is one inflow of pipes, water pipes from the street into the house and that same pipe supply coming from Birmingham Waterworks uh, flows to the sink and it flows to as the supply line to the shower and it flows as the supply line to the toilet. Uh, one day it just kind of dawned on me, yeah, if you're making coffee out of the sink, sink water is the same water as toilet water. Ah, that's where it came from. Any, I digress. Almost every morning that I made the coffee before you know she moved in and we're uh, doing life together, I, I would boil the water in these little instant uh, boilers that are electric kettles that you plug into the wall, and then you just kind of flip the button, the water boils, and then it, you know I, I would either do that or I would boil the water on an eye of the stove. Here's what would occur multiple times a week. I would turn the knob on the stove, walk into the other room, collect a few items, you know, grab my day timer, you know, hey, where's the iPhone? Where's, oh, let me get my shoes. Ah, I can't find my belt. Where's the belt? You grab things, come back in, and the water is just kind of singeing on the bottom of the eye, the bottom of the pan that I put on the eye of the stove, bottom of the little pot. I had effectively boiled all the water off. Um, now, you, you think about what happened there. More boiled or better boiled isn't actually a thing. At some point, the job is done. And if you continue doing the job, you undo 
what's already been done. You've got to press pause. Think about if you've ever been to a concert or you've been to a music store and there are a set of drums there. And all of a sudden, there's a trained musician playing the drums. And then there's a kid who gets the idea that he or she's going to try to play the drums. When there's a trained musician playing the drums, the trained drummer keeps the rhythm. They are the ones that is keeping the band in sync. Most songs start. You'll hear the little beat of the drumsticks together to get the rhythm. And then everybody chimes in and begins playing. They are the ones that physically push their bodies. They create a platform, this foundation upon which the entire song is built. Uh, In fact, many of my musician friends say that when the band is learning a new song, they begin with the drums first, and then they add the bass, and then the rhythm guitar, and then the lead guitar, and then finally, the voices. They begin at the bottom up with the drums. Now... The drums keep cadence. They set the tone. They make the pace, even though the lead singer and arguably a great guitarist are both far more noticeable. The drums take first position. The drums are super important. But this, and and don't miss it, music only happens because of the moments of rest. So think about the last time you saw a drummer or just watch a drummer next time. They actually do not play more often than they do play. There's more time with the sticks in the air than there are with the sticks on the drum. The rest are as important as those hits. In fact, without proper pauses, there's our word, without the pause, everything is just noise. Rhythm is an acquired skill of maintaining the beat of times on with the evident cadence of times off. On, off, on, off. The rest matters as much as the hits. And here's what I'm saying. In the same way that music depends on the times when the instruments are not being played, so often does life depend on the times when we are not on, when we're off, when we're still, when we're silent. And I'll tell you, this isn't just a new craze in business books or management tools or music or athletic training or lessons I've learned from coffee. This is something that I believe is rooted in creation and goes back to how you and I are designed. Let me explain what I mean. If you're like me, you consider your day to begin when you wake up in the morning, right before you, if, again, if you're like me, you either prep the coffee or you go get the coffee that your wife, spouse, partner, roommate, friend, whoever has made. Uh, or if, if you stay up late, like to midnight or 1am, you know, we, we the other night watched, uh, I think it was a series of, of, of old friends episodes or, or something streaming. And, you know, you stay up late and you look at it and go, oh, man, it's already after midnight. What? It's, ah, I've got to go to bed because it's already late 
at night, even though it's the next day. Here's the point. You and I are programmed to think of our days as daylight first, nighttime second. Daylight first, night second. Day first, night second. We get up to start the day. We go to bed to end it. But it turns out that's backwards. It's completely the opposite. Creation doesn't begin each new day's clock with the sun. Creation begins with the moon. If you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, back to the very first page of Scripture, not the first page of the title and then the contents, copyright, you know, all the like the front matter that's in the uh, book that you have published, but first page Genesis, you find the story and you read a refrain over and over. It's so common that you probably have never noticed it, but... Once you recognize it and see it, you won't be able to unsee it. Here's the refrain. There was evening and then morning, the whatever, blank day, first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day. There was evening and then morning. You find the phrase six times. So if you've got the Bible out, you look in Genesis 1, verse Five, verse 8, verse 13, verse 19, verse 23, verse 31. It's evening and then morning, dark and then day, rest and then work, pause and then play, off and then on. Here's the idea. In God's rhythm of creation, the way you and I were designed to flow, days began with dark, not light. They began with the moon in the sky, not the sun. They began with sleep, not work. They began with rest, not activity. They begin with the pause, not productivity. That's the beat, the rhythm of creation. Now, there's a great example of this in the New Testament. If you fast forward a few thousand years from creation to the cross, they removed Jesus from the stake on which he was crucified before sundown on Friday. Now, Friday was the day he was executed because Saturday was their Sabbath. Yet their Sabbath didn't begin on Saturday morning or even at midnight, which would have kind of been technically when our clock shifts. The Sabbath began at sundown, which was around 6 p.m. on Friday afternoon. Okay, that's in John 19, 31. So in that story, Friday at sundown, they lowered Jesus from the cross. They placed him in the tomb, removing him just moments before the Sabbath, the day of rest, their holy day, before that day began. When did it begin? It began in the evening, and then the morning was the second part of the day. Evening, then morning. Dark, and then daylight. Moon, and then sun. Pause, then productivity. You see, from the beginning, the new day began when the sun dropped at sundown. That was the sign of a new day, the rest. The rest came first. Now, let me show you something else about all of this. If you go back, flip all the way back from the book of John back to Genesis, I want to show you something else that I noticed uh, when I was diving into this rest thing. It has to do with when people, humans, were created. Now, 
the Genesis story shows us that God created Adam from the dirt at the end of day six. By the time the first man is scooped and formed from the dirt, God had been busy making all the animals to fill the earth. Genesis 1.24, they were made animals on the same day much earlier. Adam was created last at the end of that same sixth day. Now remember, the day ends and a new one begins at sundown. This means Adam was created late in the afternoon, my guess, presumably on that sixth day, probably, I'm guessing, a Friday at the end of the day, and then boom, sundown comes the seventh day, which begins at evening with rest, which was followed by the seventh morning, a complete 12 hours of daylight in which something new happened, something that had never, ever occurred before since creation began. God ordained then that this entire day, the seventh day, the entire one, every waking hour would be one long pause. So the seventh day of rest followed by the beginning of the eighth day, which began the evening after the seventh day, Sunday evening, sundown with more rest. That means this, the first approximately, and I hope you can keep these gymnastics mentally in your head while you're driving, running, walking, doing the dishes, laundry, whatever it is that you're doing right now. The first approximate 36 plus hours that Adam was alive, they were full of rest. God created him and then set him in a place of pause, not created him and then propelled him towards production. Okay, add another layer to this. The story of Eve's creation, it's as interesting as all of the creation story. We learn that God crafts her from the side of Adam. So Adam is made out of dirt. Eve is created, crafted from the side of Adam. She's the crown of creation. The final jewel, masterpiece, set and displayed to the world, and she comes from the man. Now, the Bible uses a different word to describe how she was created than how Adam was made. Adam was, and this is important, formed, formed, formed from the dirt. A a word in Hebrew, that's the original language of the Old Testament, uh, used to describe what a common laborer might do when working with wood or clay. God molded him. So it's intimate, but he was formed. Eve was not formed. She was fashioned from the man's rib, something more akin to creating art, uh, a masterpiece, or fine china. That's Genesis 2.22. Now, Paul tells us, quote, way in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 11.7, that, quote, woman is the glory of man. That is, I think Paul is saying, when we see her glow, we can presume that the man has lived his calling. He has not pushed her down. He's promoted her, elevated her, and loved her well. He shines by causing her to radiate. See? It's kind of different than what our culture might say. Okay, so now let's step back. That was kind of a tangent. Ask the question, where was Adam as this entire fashioning of the first woman occurred? Again, the greatest addition to creation. 
And you find the answer in Genesis 2.21 right before it says that she was fashioned. Here's the quote. The Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on the man, and the Lord took one of his ribs. You see, Adam slept a, a deep sleep. He's out through the entire ordeal. The greatest thing in which he ever participated occurred while he rested. The greatest bit of, let me just say it this way, the greatest bit of productivity in which he ever partnered with God was when he paused. Uh, that, that means there's probably a lesson there for us. Uh, now, let's just kind of keep adding layer upon layer to it. There, there are a few things I want you to notice with this whole thing of rhythm and pause in creation. Um, notice this. Each day, we already said this, begins with rest, not running around acting crazy. So this includes a cadence of rest and then work, rest and then work, rest and then work, rest and then work. Pause for 12, power up for 12. Pause for 12, power up for 12. But it begins with the pause, the rest. Uh, the second thing about rhythm in creation is this. The sequence of days of rest and work, it doesn't continue indefinitely. So there's this beat, not only in the days of rest and then work, rest and then work, or pause and then power up, pause, power up, pause, power up. There is a six and one, six and then one, six and then one, six and then one, beat in which the six is always followed by a rest. That's the night of the day seven, another rest. That's the light of the day seven, and yet another rest. That's the night of day one of the new week. So it's it's kind of like uh, off evening of day one, on morning of day one, off evening of day two, on morning of day two, off evening of day three, on morning of day three, off evening of day four, on morning of day four, off evening of day five, on morning of day five, off evening of day six, on morning of day six, off evening of day seven, off morning of day seven, off evening of day one, then back to on morning of day one. You see? We're made for this rhythm. And when you and I step away from it, we, I mean, athletically, you know, we overtrain, we injure ourselves. Or we, another metaphor, we, we boil the water off. <laughs> the toilet water's gone, undoing what's already been done. We beat, beat, beat with no cadence, just like it sounds when a kid is clanging and banging the drums with no rhyme or reason except for just to uh, hear themselves. You see, you and I were made for the rhythm. And one of the healthiest things that you and I can do for health, emotionally, for health, even in terms of understanding our identity, is to press pause. I'll talk to you more about it in the next episode.
My prayer for you, for me, is that the Lord would bless you, keep you, be gracious to shine his face of favor upon you. May you, like Adam, press pause, and may you see the Lord do the greatest things that he's going to do through you when you live in this rhythm of trust. We step in. May you deal with, in those places, the hard things of the soul. May things reorder and realign, and may you emerge rested. Grace and peace. I'll talk to you again soon.